Hey, Whitewater friends and family. So glad you can join us. Um, I just want to welcome you. If you're new to Whitewater, you've been coming for a long time. I want you to know that we believe everyone's on a journey and we want to help them take that next step toward Jesus, that you can belong before you believe. Now, right now in our world, there can be a lot of fear. I don't know uh, about you, but um, there's a lot of fear in the air and there's a lot of worry, um, discontentment, even resentment. And uh, those things all kind of revolve around the, the fear of not having, the fear of not getting. Uh, the anger at not having what I feel I, I deserve. And then the worry is just, it's, it's actually kind of a form of meditation and prayer on the negative. And, and I want to ask the question today, how do we find joy when joy is hard to find? And we're going to continue looking back at the early church, early church leaders um, from the first century and from the book of Acts. How did they teach the church to thrive and have joy and to live in such challenging circumstances? And we are in challenging circumstances, so I think we can really draw on that wisdom. But Barnabas, if you remember from last week, uh, there's one key verse, and it says this in Acts chapter 11, verse 23. When he, Barnabas, came and saw the grace of God... He rejoiced. He, his eyes were open and he was looking actively for the goodness of God. He was in a challenging circumstance. He was in challenging uh, times. Be easy to see all the bad, all that's wrong, all the problems. But Barnabas was looking for God's grace, God's spirit at work in other people and other situations. And he saw it when all these Greeks were finding Jesus and it was outside of where they had thought God could work and in people that they didn't think God could be at work in. And Barnabas saw it and he rejoiced. He was glad. He had gratitude. So he was able to experience joy, which was huge. But he, but most importantly, he was able to join in on what God was doing outside the religious box. I think that's so important right now. God's at work on in the world all around us and he's at work in people and places that we would assume he's not. Are we, do we have eyes to see it? Now, this is a practice that Barnabas took everywhere he went. If you follow the, his story, the book of Acts, he was an encourager. He was always uh, encouraging people to be devoted to the Lord, and he would see grace, and he'd rejoice in that grace. Now, Barnabas had a, a young disciple named Saul, who uh, we learned last week, fought the church. God broke into his life, turned him around, and he began becoming a leader. Now, the church was afraid of Saul because he had actually fought and thrown uh, Christians in prison. But when he became a Christian, Barnabas was one of the first leaders to advocate him for Saul. Because remember, Barnabas looks for the grace of God, rejoices in it, and then partners with it. And so he actually advocated for Paul and trained Paul in how he viewed the kingdom of God. And uh, what I want to look at today is how did Paul take the trainings of um, Barnabas and apply it to his life? Now, a little bit about Paul. When he started working with Barnabas, he all of a sudden learned how to be a missionary, started helping plant churches, and he went from like the least and the last in the church movement to becoming one of the church fathers. He became a great leader. He had churches that he helped plant that were spread throughout all the Roman Empire. And in much like us, uh, they were in challenging times. Um, the churches that he planted were more home churches at that time, um, just because of the way uh, the Roman world was organized. And then he had these churches, these clusters of churches in different cities and different places. And, you know, Whitewater sees a lot of that. Just like Paul had, you know, home churches kind of scattered through areas. He had them in Corinth and Galatia and Philippi and Rome and, you know, Thessalonica. And I mean, he had them all over 
And we've got, you know, people that are in homes and home churches and they're scattered throughout Pierce County and beyond. And our goal is to help you bloom where, you're, where you are planted together because that's what Paul did. He helped his churches bloom and flourish in very challenging circumstances. Another interesting thing was often Paul couldn't be present with the churches that he wanted to be present with. Sometimes he was uh, on a missionary journey, so he would have to communicate through letter to churches that he wished he could be with in person. Sometimes he was in prison because of sharing his faith in the Roman world, and he literally couldn't leave his room because he was under lock and key. And there are times where he wrote, he's like, I wish I could be with you. I wish I could be present with you. And I feel like that right now. I wish I could be with you and see our church like normal and all gathered together. But there's certain times where we're limited and God uses that just like he used the limitations for Paul. Um, even the technology of the day, Paul's like, I'm sorry, I wish I didn't, I wasn't writing to you on this new technology called papyrus or paper and pen. It was a technology that enabled him to communicate, connect, lead, teach, um, his churches. Now think about how amazing it is that God used a frustration and it turned it into something that, that changed generations of faith. We're still reading his letters. We're going to be reading his letters today because he used that technology that he didn't even want to use in the first place. So some of you are learning the uh, worldwide interweb uh, <laughs> these days. You know, like God can use that and will use that. And I, and I think we can celebrate in that. Paul was in a cir similar circumstance. So, what can we learn from uh, how Paul practiced reflection and rejoicing so that we can uh, emulate that and experience joy in the movement of God's Spirit in our life? Gordon Fee wrote this, One of the more remarkable inconsistencies and in studies on Paul is that thousands of books is, exist that search every aspect of Paul's thinking while only a few seek to come to terms with his life of prayer. What is clear from Paul's letters is that he was a prayer before he was a missioner or a thinker. And so much of the Christian faith is, is uh, in the Western world is focused on the analytical, the theological, the even the missionary or missional aspects of Paul, and skipped over the most central thing to who Paul was, which was a prayer. He was living and abiding in the presence of God. I think it's really important that we understand Paul's prayer life and not skip over that. If we miss that, we're, we're going to miss the source of his joy, the source of his power, and the source of his life. Now, Paul, if you remember, he was transformed. He was on the way of the Pharisee. He was persecuting the church. God broke into his life, transformed him. And that changed fundamentally, I think, his prayer life. All of a sudden, it wasn't that God is out there and it's our job to live through the Torah. When Jesus broke into his life, he all of a sudden realized the Spirit of God was alive and active. The presence of God um, that had been in the temple was now at work. And that's who had transformed him, God's Spirit through Jesus. This changed his prayer life fundamentally. All of a sudden, that meant that the Spirit of God was at work all around us. And our job, one of the primary jobs of the Christian, is to have eyes, like Barnabas taught, to see the grace of God and rejoice in it, be grateful for it, have gratitude. So, how did he pray? What did he pray? Now, in uh, generally speaking, in I'd say the Western church, there can be three focal points of prayer. One is a, a prayer of asking or prayer of petition, asking for God to help other people, asking for God to help people in the future or yourself in the future. 
You know, that's a form of prayer. Another form is uh, prayer as connecting God's community in the sense that like we are God's covenant or family a community that we're, we're connected by praying together. And older churches with liturgies practice that type of prayer. And then the third type of prayer is a prayer as first reflection with spiritual eyes and ears for evidence of God's grace. Eyes that begin to see what God is actively doing. It's interesting, um, but in the Western church, uh, the first two forms of prayer have been more emphasized. Uh, whereas for Paul's theology and in some of the traditions of Eastern church, the, the third form of prayer has actually been emphasized. The other two are still there, but it's more emphasized actively seeing uh, with spiritual eyes what God is doing in the world. And it's because it's an unbound view of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's at work in the world around us, which was more of Paul's theology. And you, you know what? If you're interested to know more about that, we don't have time to talk about all these things here, but we have something called spiritual questions. And we could talk more about like the background and theology of Paul and prayer and grace. I'd love to discuss that with you. And if you're uh, not even a Christian yet, but you've got spiritual questions, bring them to spiritual questions and we will talk about it. We're going to be having this time on Facebook Live. Um, so join us for spiritual questions. So let's look at what this looked like for Paul. In Ephesians chapter 1, he's speaking to the church and Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus. Since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, this is the reason that I don't stop giving thanks to God for you. Notice he's, he's other-centered. He's thanking God for them. He's seeing God at work in the Ephesians' life. Uh, so I, And he's thankful because he sees God at work. So I'm thankful for you, um, and I thank God for you when, whenever I remember you in my prayers. His prayer life started with uh, reflection and then rejoicing. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation that makes God known to you. He wants them to have revelation. Now, hone in on verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart will have enough light to see. Well, to see what? God's grace. Check this out. To see what is the hope of God's call, what is the richness of God's glory and inheritance among the believers, and what is the overwhelming greatness of God's power that is at work among us believers. He's saying God is at work. His power is at work. Just like it transformed me, it's transforming you. I'm seeing it, and I'm praying that you have spiritual eyes to see it. Now, where did he get that? from his mentor Barnabas, Barnabas who saw the grace of God and rejoiced and was glad. I mean, that's where he learned it. Well, where did Barnabas learn it? Well, I think uh, all of them find their source in Jesus' teaching. Check this out, Matthew chapter 6, verse, starting with verse 22. Jesus said, your eyes are like a window for your body that let the light in. When they are good, you will have all the light you need and your whole life and body will be filled with light. But when your eyes are bad, everything is dark. If the light inside you is dark, you surely are in the dark. That's a powerful statement by Jesus. Because Jesus knew, like he knew the human condition. Jesus' wisdom about how we behave, our ethical behaviors, what the good life is about, what the, uh, what the best life that humans were created for, Jesus knew. He knew that we follow what we focus on. And if our eyes and the eye of our heart, what we focus our attention on, actually determines 
uh, who we become, that then our perception is, is extremely important. Spiritual reflection is really about spiritual perception. We become what we worship. We follow where we focus. Jesus knew this. And Paul, this is why Paul says in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart will have enough light to see. That's from Jesus. He wants them to learn to be prayers that see the movement of the Spirit, the grace of God in their life. And I think it's important to mention this. Like Paul's not saying that we should be Pollyanna or just put the rose tinted glasses on and pretend everything's great and we're only looking for the positive. Uh, when, Phil, in, when he's writing to the Philippians, he's in prison celebrating the grace of God. He knows how bad it can get. He knows there's challenges. And, and he didn't, uh, he actually would, would look at the, the challenge you know, and the good, the negative and the positive. And I think the key is looking at both those things or looking at the spectrum of things and choosing a third way, not this, not being super, super happy and everything's great, nothing's bad, or everything's terrible and the sky is falling. It's, it's choosing to find where is the grace of God in all of this? Where is the life-giving grace of God? And let's choose a third way forward. Amen. In Parks and Rec, you might know the characters that represent these kind of views. You got Leslie Nope, the hopeless optimist, everything's great, everything's good, nothing's bad. Then you got the uh, uh, Ron Swanson with the sweet stash, who's like kind of the, uh, the pessimist. And then you got Andy Dwyer, who's just clueless. And, and Paul isn't advocating, you know, that you just go one way or the other. He's saying there's a third way that we can just look for the grace of God in the good, the bad, and the ugly. And notice that Paul is thankful to these churches, and many of these churches he writes to, he's thanking God for them, he loves them, but he's about to correct them, and they've got some real problems. I mean, he's got one church was uh, having a guy shacking up with his mother-in-law. I mean, that's not cool, right, Michael? Not cool. And Paul's still thankful for them, loves them, but he's, he's working through real challenges. And we can see Paul demonstrating this form of prayer of reflection and rejoicing, grace finding and gratitude, you know, in all of his letters. I'm going to give you a little homework because we don't have time to go through all that, but you can have time this week. So I want to encourage you, go through the first chapter of Ephesians and look at his prayer, how he does grace finding and gratitude, reflection and rejoicing. Look at the first uh, chapter of uh, Philippians, first chapter of Colossians, and look for those patterns because that's teaching us how Paul actually prayed. Check this out. Paul writes this. How do we see with the eyes of our heart? What do we focus on? He says, finally, brothers and sisters, fill your minds with beauty and truth. Meditate on whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, whatever is virtuous and praiseworthy. Keep the script. Whatever you learned and received and heard and saw in me, do it and the God of peace will walk with you. I love that. Paul is saying he's training our eyes, the eyes of our heart, to look for beauty and truth, God's grace. These are all graces of God. And I, I, I would, would submit to you in your um, practice of reflection and rejoicing this week, read through this section of scripture, Philippians 4, 8, and 9, 
and think about it. Where are you seeing beauty and truth and goodness and um, love and faithfulness? Where are you seeing fruit like that? Rejoice in it and start practicing it. Paul says, use me as a model. So we're supposed to be looking for models, people in our lives. They don't even have to be people we like. They don't even have to be Christians, but we can look where God is at work. His spirit is is at work in people and places that we least expect. Now, N.T. Wright has, I think, a great quote on Philippians 4.8. He says, um, what Paul is teaching here runs directly opposite to the habits of mind instilled by the modern media. Read the newspapers. Their stock and trade is anything that is untrue, unholy, unjust, impure, ugly, of ill repute, vicious, and blameworthy. Think about this. We live in a world that trains our minds to think about what's wrong, the problems where God isn't at work, and and there's despair, and there's resentment, and there's discontent, worry, fear. All those things just start to flood our minds and hearts. And remember what Jesus taught. Remember what Paul taught. When we train the eyes of our heart, like the things we focus on either flood us with light or with darkness. We reflect out what we reflect on. What have you been reflecting on in your life? Is there fear? Is there kind of a, is your, is your mind just struggling? Your heart struggling? Is it possible that we've been focused on all the things the media or uh, people who are, are, are really down and struggling themselves are telling us to focus on? Or are we following Paul's instructions, Jesus' instructions? Transform the way we think by what we are looking at, what we are focusing on. Amen? You know, it's so easy to get drawn into the debates, into um, controversies, into conspiracies that are not Jesus-centered at all. Like, there's no Jesus in any of it, in the way people are treating each other, what they're arguing about. And it's like arguing on this level, and when we jump to that level, it like pulls us down. Argument and debate have their place. But if we make a good argument but live out ugly, bad behavior, we've already lost the argument. The best critique of the bad and the ugly is the practice, the doing of the good and the beautiful. We practice the good and the beautiful by focusing the eyes of our heart on the goodness and beauty of God, the grace of God. We follow where we focus. This isn't a denial that there is ugly and there's bad. This is an acknowledgement of it, but it's a third way forward. It's not just positive, negative. It's a way of seeing both the good and the bad, the positive and the negative, and finding where God's life-giving grace is going to move us forward. Amen? Let's practice the good together. One, through the practice of reflection and rejoicing. Again, reflect on the presence of God. Assume that God is at work in your life. Spend time today. Spend time daily. How is God's presence holding you and around you and in your life? And then reflect on your day with the grace of God. God's activity is outside of yourself. It's it, Don't just focus on yourself, focus on others and what God is doing in their life and be gracious to them, be gracious to yourself. Um, and I would encourage you read through Philippians 4, 8 as you're reflecting on the goodness and the grace of God. And the final step is reflect on your day with gratitude. When we discover grace, we discover gratitude and gratitude sparks joy. Write it down. Talk with other people and rejoice with your home church, your spiritual family, um, because that's going to change your heart. That's going to change how you live. Let's take time to reflect and rejoice together right now.